morning. I'm Eric Miskell with EMS Now, and welcome to this edition of EMS Now Up Close. It is my pleasure this morning to again speak with David Schild. He's the executive director with the Printed Circuit Board Association of America. David, good to see you again. Thanks for taking time to speak with me again. Eric, great to be back. Thank you. Yeah. Listen, lots going on, so let's just jump in. We've been chatting a bit at the beginning here, and we can go in so many directions, so we'll I'll try to corral this to a certain degree here, but... You know, a lot happening with the CHIPS Act, right? And sure. uh, and so I wanted to kind of maybe unpack some of what that is uh, and, you know, and have you make some comments. I mean, as you, you know, I think from PCBA's perspective, you know, the, the CHIPS Act is focused on kind of two thirds of the technology stack and PCBs are were being missed. But that's also in the title of the CHIPS Act, right? It states right. specifically. So it wasn't intended to be a part. So the the discussion now is about how do we leverage this initiative for the to include more, including you know what your organization does. Yeah, you know there was Eric almost a three year journey to see the CHIPS Act realized. And of course that bill expanded and contracted as so many pieces of legislation do over time. Uh, and when it finally made it to the president's desk, it represented about $52 billion both for capital expenditures by semiconductor manufacturers, as well as research and development. Then it comes down to an executive agency, the Department of Commerce, to actually implement it. And in the last month, we've seen the first NOFO, or Notice of Funding Opportunity, a 75-page document that calls out the details and really spells out for anybody who wants to apply for these funds, the rules of the road. And we did see uh, initial references to advanced packaging in addition to semiconductor production. Uh, I think our industry is heartened by what you have seen Secretary Raimondo, what you have seen the president, what you have seen the folks at uh, the Department of Commerce and NIST say about the need for an ecosystem, about the need for manufacturing nodes that mm -hmm. constitute more than just semiconductor production facilities. Mm -hmm. But yes, we don't see an explicit inclusion of printed circuit boards. And as we like to say, chips don't float. Without PCBs, without advanced packaging, you know, these very modern and incredible semiconductors simply don't work. Mm -hmm. And and you, meant, you referenced the uh, the Department of Commerce, and that'll be my understanding, but that'll be managed through, is it NIST, the NIST? Yeah, there's a whole CHIPS office now under the Department of Commerce, and they're really doing impressive work. They're staffing up very aggressively. Um, anytime that you need to administer a program of this size, and it's going to be an administration that's going to cover many years, um, you know, you need to be fairly robust. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this first example of here's the pot of money that's available initially, here are the rules that you need to follow if you want to apply for it. And I think they're very common sense recommendations, requirements really is the better way to put it, right? We have to spend this money in the United States. Yeah. It has to be spent on you know, semiconductor production it has to be spent on research and development. If you don't actually build the factory, we're going to claw the funds back. If we catch you spending this money overseas, we're going to claw the funds back. And, you know, the government has a responsibility to look out for the taxpayer in that regard. Yeah, no, and that makes good sense. So, you know, in your position, what you're doing with PCBA, how receptive, what's the environment for, for, for the message and, and what you're championing? I think it's very receptive. Um, I think that many people, and you know that we've contracted dramatically over, over about 25 years, right? We had 2,200 companies at one point making printed circuit boards in America. That's when we had 30% of global market share produced here in the US. Now we're down to about 150 companies making boards, and we're down to 4% of global market share. That is an extreme contraction. And to put that up against our friends in the semiconductor space, they rightly got excited and went to the government for assistance when they were, were when they were at 
13% of global market share. So when I go out and I talk to folks who are not just building printed circuit boards, right, but who are doing assembly, folks who are supplying critical materials, they are concerned that the government is not really addressing the entire ecosystem. And so, um, you know, in really every time zone and sort of every segment of the market, folks are interested in speaking with the PCBAA. Yeah, and that's good. And even, and we were talking before, IPC came out with their uh, press release, I believe it was yesterday. Uh, and uh, within it, it clearly states, and we have John Mitchell stating, I think that uh, policy needs to, makers need to move beyond the silicon-only mindset and rebuilding the wider U.S. electronics manufacturing industry. So it, as we were saying before, so the you guys are kind of in lockstep with IPC as well there. Yeah, there's really, you know, I think um, a unity of purpose around the idea that reshoring high-tech manufacturing makes sense. Mm -hmm. I think across the business community, just based on what executives saw during the COVID pandemic, mm -hmm. there's a recognition that um, extended global supply chains and a real imbalance in our supply chains presents a lot of risk to business, a lot of risk to the consumer. And what we're talking about is building more resilient and more secure supply chains, right? We need to have trusted sourcing, especially for critical aerospace and defense applications, for critical infrastructure build out. That's something we talk a lot about in this country. And we don't want to have empty store shelves. We don't want to have uh, month-long, year-long backlogs for critical products. And that's what um, over-dependence on any one single source is going to lead you to eventually. Yeah. And nor do we want slowing down of the uh, of the uh, technology development that goes on. Right. So if you don't yes. have these materials, we don't want that to be slowed down due to poor supply chains. So. I, you know, I, I'm so glad you mentioned this because our chairman, uh, Travis Kelly, who's also the CEO of Isola, talks a lot about how innovation, research and development, the stuff that goes into making the next generation of technology, it is so often co-located with production. And when you talk about the next generation semiconductors that are going to be built at these facilities in states like New York, Illinois, Ohio, Texas, Arizona, et cetera, those advanced chips are going to need to go on the next generation of printed circuit boards. They're going to need to be mated up with the next generation of advanced packaging. And the innovation, the invention of the next generation of technologies, it so often is occurring where production is occurring. So if it, production is overseas, guess what? That's where research and development, that's where innovation are also occurring. And I think um, you've heard a stated policy from this administration and from leaders all over Washington that we want to lead in the United States in inventing the next generation of microelectronics. Yeah. And I think, do I read the tea leaves correctly? So, I mean, going back to the CHIPS Act, you know, that's kind of the top of the pyramid, so a food chain, so to speak. The hope is that the rest of that supply chain with, through initiatives like what PCBA is doing will migrate as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think people understand, you know, much as, you know, the automotive industry, um, you know, drove, you know, tire production throughout the Midwest, right? Yeah, that right. there are all these adjacent and there are all these, um, you know, I don't want to call them subsidiary, but associated organizations and companies and parts of the supply chain that we're going to need if you truly want to say, we're making high technology products here in America. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting, too, because I think PCBA can look at what's happening with the CHIPS Act and kind of maybe, you know, the, 
I think there's some differences. I want to talk that a bit, the whole kind of public-private kind of partnership mm -hmm. thing, because I think that's how things ultimately are successful here. Um, but you you look at what they're doing, and I and I shared with you kind of a, a, a release or a story about TSMC, what they're doing in Arizona. And they've slowed a bit with their development because of, you know, some concerns about, you know, costs, being able to pass those on to the customers, mm -hmm. and also manpower shortages, right, that they're experiencing. So my, I guess my question is, um uh how and and you mentioned that before the motivation for the pcba has to do with the secure supply chain what have you uh so there there there's national interests in play here and reasons to do that as you've articulated but at the same time these are businesses who are responsible for for to their shareholders and what they're doing how do you balance that well, look, our our folks are obviously driven by market forces like everybody else. They have shareholders that they're accountable to. They have um, customers and you know end user consumers who are definitely looking at the price tag on things. Mm -hmm. That's why the legislation that we're trying to advance in Congress doesn't just come up with a pot of money for research and development and capital expenditure, which you saw in the CHIPS Act. It more importantly contains a tax credit, a 25% tax credit on the purchase of American-made PCBs. And what that does is it really brings the cost of American-made boards in line with foreign-produced boards. And it allows the folks who are sourcing to say, you know, it makes sense for me to purchase in America. It makes sense for me to buy American because now it's cost competitive. And we've got to have that demand signal um, on, across the commercial sector, across the national security sector, in order for the business case to be there to build a new factory, hire mm -hmm. a new worker, buy a new piece of equipment. Yeah. Yeah, and that makes sense. And let me touch then on the role of kind of the public-private partnerships, because I think with what's happening with the CHIP Act is clearly a government-run initiative, right, mm -hmm. through, as you say, Department of Commerce, whereas PCBA is, is more of an industry initiative. Is that yeah, correct? absolutely. Our organization, which is now a little more than two years old, is, you know, the voice of the PCB industry in Washington. And, you know, this is an industry, as I mentioned, that's seen severe contraction, that wants to see efforts by policymakers to reverse that. And so we're the voice of these private companies saying, hey, you know, we need government policy. But one thing that I think is sometimes lost in these discussions is the fact that there's not just a global uh, competitive environment when it comes to the business community. There's an extremely competitive economic environment when it comes to what governments are actually doing. The United States um, didn't invent and isn't the only company taking actions you know, by its government to incentivize high-tech manufacturing. This is going on all over the world. And it certainly takes different forms, direct grants. Uh, you see tax credits all over the world. You see um, you know, uh, limited regulation being put in. You see all sorts of um, deals and incentives regarding land use and labor. And so when people talk about the United States stepping forward and saying, look, we want to reclaim a certain mark and segment. We want to reclaim a certain amount of innovation and critical technologies. Mm -hmm. We're not the first ones to do this. Yeah. A lot of offshoring is tied to the fact that foreign governments for many, many decades decided that they wanted to own a certain technology set and they made it economically competitive for companies, whether they were headquartered in the US or elsewhere, to move to their locations because of the incentives that they'd put in place. So I would argue we're maybe playing catch up on this front. Yeah. And we talked before, you know, the, the news that just came out this morning that Samsung's investing $230 billion now over the next 10 years. I believe it'll be five uh, new chip factories there south of Seoul. Um, and we said, you know, you know, there, uh, one company's doing $230, we're doing $50 billion. 
but that's the government doing it, right? So that doesn't, and it's not fair to compare that because obviously different initiatives doing, you know, for different motivations as well. Um, but you also, as we, when we had that con, we were talking about if you size everything, uh, even within say China with everything, all of the the incentives to develop the, the microelectronics kind of powerhouse that they've become, that was in the trillions. Yeah, I don't know who's got the authoritative uh, statistics on this, but I would say that you've seen for many, many decades efforts by multiple governments to bring technology to their shores. And so I think that the $52 billion that we've spent in the United States is a down payment. It's a down payment. And there are smart people in Washington who understand that. Um, Congress likes to take a victory lap occasionally and say we're going to move on to the next challenge. But you see now from lawmakers on both sides of the aisle – a recognition that we're going to have to do more, not just in the microelectronic space, but in a variety of economic sectors that we've lost, you know, over a generation or several generations here in the United States. But yeah, I think if you were to, um, you know, look into what other nations have done, it's a multi-decade, certainly multi-tens, hundreds of billions, if not more, uh, mm -hmm. that's been done. And it's going to remain a globally competitive environment. Right. That's mm -hmm. the nature of our of our market economy. Yeah. Well, and that's what drives innovation. Right. And yep. advancement. Absolutely. I mean, that's a big thing. Um, you know, when we spoke last, we it was the day after the State of the Union. And mm -hmm. in that famously, President Biden had used the term finish the job. Right. So we kind of invoked that in our conversation. And I know that that's kind of part of this is that, you know, this is a good start, but we need to finish the job across uh, the whole place. Um, a whole, uh, I mean, the whole development, right, through the, through that. Um, sure. You know, and then I think of, um, you know, the, the initiatives that's happening, and we referenced what IPC said, and they came out with a statement yesterday, their, their panel of experts, and they're really talking about doing something now, right? And I think, and I'll just read a quote, it says, spending more time planning, talking, and debating will not get us the desired competitiveness position more quickly, right? So they're, they're really the push now for them, they think is to is to establish something and you know let not talk about it actualize it right how does that play out for the printed circuit board Where, what is the win that uh, that that we can get here yeah there's really three you know sort of major policy initiatives that we're pursuing uh, and these i think would hit the bottom line not just of the folks who manufacture these technologies and their critical suppliers but also the folks who would make purchases, right? I've talked about the successor to what was HR 7677 in the last Congress. It's going to get a new name uh, and a new number in the 118th. That's the bill that would allocate billions of dollars in direct funding, as well as a, impose a 25% tax credit for the purchase of American boards. But we also have an initiatives uh, more narrowly focused on the defense and aerospace market. For example, um, calling on the Pentagon by 2027 to be able to validate the microelectronics within its own supply chain and be able to say that we have trusted sourcing. We think that's going to lead to more uh, Buy America provisions by the Department of Defense on top of many of the um, sort of you know restrictions and, and uh, pieces of guidance that they already have in place for critical defense systems. And then, you know, there's also the use of the Defense Production Act. Um, our industry, right, PCBAA, in partnership with organizations like IPC, has called on the White House to invoke the Defense Production Act. And while that can be a little bit complicated, the simplest way to explain it is it allows the government to drop a lot of red tape, a lot of bureaucratic rules around purchasing. And we've got a waiver in place right now. We're waiting for a formal determination or invocation of, of the DPA. Recently, you saw Anna Eshoo and Blake Moore, representatives from California and Utah, respectively, send a letter to the Pentagon saying, 
you know, we need to invoke the DPA so that the DOD can much more quickly buy the microelectronics, including printed circuit boards, that it needs. You're solving the semiconductor problem with the CHIPS Act, but now we have to talk about advanced packaging. Now we have to talk about printed circuit boards. So, you know, if you talk about specific language in the National Defense Authorization Act, a standalone bill that would help not just the folks who make these boards, but would incentivize the purchase of those boards across the U.S. economy, and then this use of you know, a tool that was, you know, invented for times of crisis, a tool that was invented, you know, I think back in the 1940s, so the government could move fast on the purchasing that it needed, the Defense Production Act. Those three initiatives, you know, they're game changing for companies in the United States that have seen their share of market contract that maybe, um, you know, have seen a real challenge in, in terms of uh, unit pricing. Yeah. So I have to ask, though, I mean, last time we we did this, it was during COVID, and we famously had the you know, President Trump at the time wanted to go to GM to build ventilators. And everybody said, what are you doing? Go to the people who actually. So, I mean, in this case, it's, is there enough understanding of what that is that this, if we invoke that through the Defense Production Act, that it would go to the companies who actually are the experts doing this rather than some, you know, larger corporation who may have to learn it? Yeah, no, absolutely. A number of our members are the largest suppliers of printed circuit boards to the Department of Defense already. Right. Um and you know they are well versed in what it takes to supply critical weapons systems, critical defense systems. Um, you know they work in partnership with sort of you know the big firms that everybody's familiar with: Raytheon, Northrop Grumman, Boeing, Lockheed, et cetera. And I think the expertise in those um, market segments is definitely here in the United States. Uh, again, you know you need to have a demand signal. It's not simply enough, I think, to hand money to folks and say go build a factory, go staff up, go get the critical tooling yeah. and machinery that you need. You have to have a demand signal to justify the business case. Mm -hmm. And we have to you know, give the government the tools that it needs to buy PCBs, but also incentivize the private sector to do it. And once you see that demand signal, you know, then you can go to your board, then you can go to your leadership team and say, yeah. hey, it's time to break ground. It's time to start hiring. Yeah. And just to follow up to you, I, and I forget the number of the HR bill that would have the 25% uh, tax credit, that has not been approved, but it's in where so is that? So that bill, again, has a co-sponsorship by a Democrat and Republican. Right. We're waiting for it to be reintroduced in this Congress. As you can imagine, uh, the folks on the Hill have a lot of issues that they're working through. And anytime you change over right. um, you know, from one Congress to the next, there's some lag. But we anticipate that very soon that bill is going to be on the floor We'll be out there lobbying hard to uh, get increased co-sponsorship for that. We're going to need a companion bill in the Senate. There's a lot of legwork that's going to have to be done in Washington. But as I remind my members all the time, you know, the CHIPS Act took, you know, probably 36 months from yeah. ideation to execution, right? And now the government is just starting to hand out that money. Um, it can be frustrating, but we have to follow yeah. the process as the rules lay it out. Well, I'm just wondering, you know, to you, this platform here that that I happen to have, uh, you know, for domestic manufacturers, EMS, those types of companies, if they're interested, they can be supportive by what contacting their Congress people and saying support this. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think what you've seen is a joint effort again. You know, IPC and PCBA working mm -hmm. hand in hand to reach out to a lot of folks in the microelectronics community and say look, there would be myriad benefits to this bill. Of course, we're paying attention to what CHIPS is doing, but everybody looks at the state of the market and says that we've got to do more here in the United States. And we are going to need um, a concentrated push, right? We're going to need grassroots efforts. I anticipate that our members this summer will be on Capitol Hill, right? They will be burning up the shoe leather, walking from office to office saying, 
I work in your district. I work in your state. I employ X hundred or X thousand people making right these green boards. Yeah. And guess what? The chips that we're going to build here in America have got to get mated up to these boards. Yeah. So we're going to need uh, some government incentives. We're going to need policymakers to act to secure the entire ecosystem. Chips don't mm-hmm. float. Yeah. <laughs> Love that tagline. I really <laughs> do. Um, before we end, let me ask, is there anything else that's happening that w- that the audience should know about? Well, look, I think you know we've got these three major policy pushes. We continue to grow as an organization. I'm really thrilled that you know just last month we welcomed three new members to our organization. And also, you know, there's good economic news on the PCB front. I'm sure you saw that uh, SEL is going to spend 100 million dollars to build a new PCB facility in Idaho. That's a company that has long kept its manufacturing onshore here in the United States. Um, you know, it, there's debate about the degree to which we're facing economic headwinds. But I think that the microelectronics industry and the PCB industry specifically, along with its critical material suppliers, along with the assemblers, we understand that this is this technology is just a part of modern life. Everywhere you look, you're going to find microelectronics. Yeah. And because we're so dependent on it, there's clearly a demand signal. There's clearly a market there. What we need now is the U.S. government to act in the ways that other governments have acted for decades and make it a more competitive place. But I'm bullish on our industry and the opportunities that we've got in D.C. We're growing our team. And, you know, for your listeners, I would say we want to talk to you about how we're representing you in D.C. and how you can be a part of our effort. Yeah. And to that uh, to that point, people who want to become involved or supportive of the PCBAA, what's the best way for them to do that? Just Uh, Yeah, visit us online at pcbaa.org. Check out our social feeds where you'll see uh, just a lot of our content. And, you know, talk to our members, right? These are the biggest names in the industry. And I think that um, the folks that have been with us since the beginning for the last two years, they'll testify that we've got an aggressive campaign in D.C., that we're doing some very unique work. And so uh, if you're out there listening to this uh, broadcast and you're saying, well, I don't know, what's this organization all about? You know, reach out to Isola, to TTM, to Calumet, to San Media, to McDermott. Um, have a conversation with your peers in the industry. Uh, and I think they'll attest that we're doing good work. Good. You know, uh as you said, the things are changing and moving pretty quickly through here. So we have to do this regularly, these check-ins with you, because I always find this fascinating. I always learn something. And, uh, you know, you have a unique position there with, with the role that you play uh, in staying in the uh, kind of the tip of the spear on everything. So uh, I'm very lucky to represent a great industry that's making, you know, most of our modern technology possible. We're excited for the possibilities. And I appreciate what you're doing to spread the word and, you know, keep a focus on this part of the ecosystem. There's certainly a lot of heat and light uh, directed at our friends in the semiconductor space, but we've got to remember that uh, the whole stack is important. And if we really want secure and resilient supply chains, we'll address the entire ecosystem. Yeah. Well, keep up the good work you're doing, David, and let's, uh, let's, Check uh, check in again this year and hopefully get some, some good updates. I look forward to it, Eric. Thank you, sir. Thank you. 